Psalm 51. For the chief musician, a psalm by David, when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions. My sin is constantly before me. Against you and you only I have sinned and done that which is evil in your sight, so that you may be proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Behold, I was born in iniquity. My mother conceived me in sin. Behold, you desire truth in the inmost parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness that the bones which you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. And don't throw me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold within me a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. Sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation. My tongue will sing aloud your righteousness. Lord, open my lips. My mouth will declare your praise. For you don't delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You have no pleasure in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. O God, you will not despise a broken and contrite heart. Do well in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem, and then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings and in the whole burnt offerings. Then they will offer bulls on your altar. Um, there are a lot of things to say about Psalm 51. So this is one of seven penitential psalms in in the book of psalms so penitential means you know a psalm of repentance or a psalm of saying sorry there are seven of them this is i think the fourth or the fifth out of the seven and um, it's definitely the grandest one so this is um written just after the time when david had the the affair you could call it an affair but it was kind of worse than an affair because she was um she was a willing participant in the sense that she obeyed and came, but she wasn't willing in the sense that she had a husband. She didn't want to, but she had no choice. So he didn't physically force her, but he just gave the command and he was the king. So it wasn't quite like what the movies make out an affair. But then to cover it up because she got pregnant, he organized for in the battle for her husband to be killed but to make it worse, the commander of the army, Joab, he couldn't just single out one guy and kill him, so he stranded a whole bunch of guys in one corner and there were like 11 or 12 of them killed. So to cover up for this adulterous affair, 11 or 12 people were killed. So this isn't just the sin of adultery, it's bordering on the sin of rape, and it's also the sin of murder, it's also the sin of lying, it's the sin of coveting you know one's wife it's the sin of stealing you know stealing someone's husband away 
um, was, you know, the sin of lying. It was the sin of dishonoring his mother and father and dishonoring God. It was the sin of having some other God before the Lord. Pretty much broke all ten commands in one single thing. Um, so this is a bad, bad moment. The prophet Nathan came to David to correct him at some point after it. Now, it wasn't immediate um, because it was after he found out that she was pregnant and it was after that happened that he went and killed her husband and, and there was all this toing and froing from the palace in Jerusalem and the battle which was you know, more than 100 kilometres away and people had to come and they had to walk there and walk back and walk there and all of this took time. So this isn't a kind of like you've done something wrong and it's jumped on straight away. This may have been months later. And during all of this time, he's doing what people typically do and pretend that nothing's wrong. This is the sin of Adam where, you know, when Adam sinned in the garden, he was ashamed and he hid himself. And um, he had no excuse, but he just pretended it wasn't real, but God knew. And it's your sin if you've done something wrong and you, you're trying to pretend you haven't and you avoid it, you don't want to talk about it, don't bring it up in your prayers. It's almost you, you want to pretend it like just didn't happen. It doesn't work like that. And um, so there comes a moment when the prophet Nathan goes into David to correct him. Now, we think that that's pretty normal, that the, the Lord would go and correct someone like that. Um, the, fa the, the fact that God would correct is normal, but the fact that it happened, you know, in, in ancient cultures, that's so unusual that someone would feel that the king could be corrected. Kings were above the law. They were like, they had sole rule and power over the, not only, you know, the kingdom, but over the life of every individual person. If someone came and challenged them, they could just as easily command them out and put them to death. And I don't think, one of the commentators said he didn't, in his opinion, he didn't think that there would have been any other king in history or in any other king at the time David was alive that God could have sent a prophet to and said to them what Nathan said to David and lived to tell the tale. So we've got a very, very, first of all, before we even get into the, the repentance of David, we have something here that's very interesting about our God. First of all, that no one is above the law, not even the king. Now, that's kind of obvious now because, you know, in modern society, we expect our politicians must be accountable and they follow the same laws as everyone does. We don't expect them to dip into the public purse to support a lavish lifestyle for themselves. So that they get paid a good wage and they should be happy with that. They're a public servant. You know, they're there to serve the public. So we think like this. But we only think like that because the Bible has changed the way that culture thinks. Thousands of years ago, it wasn't like that. So we've got the story, you know, where later on in the Bible, Elijah goes to confront King Ahab. Sorry, not later in the Bible, later in the history of Israel, earlier in the Bible, in the book of Kings. But Elijah goes to confront Ahab over something he did. And Ahab and Jezebel get mad and want to kill him. Well, see, that's normal. <laughs> and Elijah has to flee for his life. That's normal. That's what was expected at the time. The, the expectation was the king's the boss. You don't challenge the king. He's above the law. You know, he's, he's not, doesn't have to be accountable to anyone. And um, there's a book called The Book That Made Your World by Vishal Mangalwadi, an Indian author, very fascinating guy. And uh, you should read it. It's one of the top 10 books you should read. And he says um, 
that in modern India, this is just in recent decades, that Indians who've read that story, you know, they live in a caste system where they're discriminated against because they're lower down. And you know, they have they suffer and struggle where people in the higher caste seem to get away with things. It's like there's two different rules, a rule for them and a rule for you. And um, that the, there's not one standard set of laws. And when they read this story in the Bible about, you know, um, God sending a prophet to the king, it confronts them and they realize, wow, we're worshiping the wrong gods. You know, the Hindu gods, there's something wrong with them because they're not fair. They're not even real, of course. But that's when they realize, I want to follow the God of the Bible. So the underlying thing behind Psalm 51 is that we have a God who's fair. The law applies equally to all people, no matter how important you are. But having said that, David's actually an amazing character because he responds to it. He responds to the rebuke of the prophet. This is why we say he's a man with a heart after God. And some people said, oh, what type of a man would commit a crime like that? Great question. (laughs) I don't know whether we can answer that except to say that all people fall into temptation and all people have done things that are wrong including yourself. So before you point the finger at someone that the Lord said had a heart after him, I would just be, you know, mindful that that's what the Lord said about him, not what he said about himself. And so here, you know, the prophet goes to him and his first reaction is to repent. He immediately acknowledges what the Lord says is correct and he, he acknowledges the truth. There, and he says, I have sinned. And there are, like I I preached here one Sunday in church, a sermon called I Have Sinned, and there are seven people in the Bible who said that phrase, I have sinned. Only one of them acknowledges his fault and repents. The other six, which include Judas and um, King Saul, the other people that say this, they all say, I'm a sinner, I've sinned, but none of them repent. None of them have any desire to get their heart right with God. But what David wants is a clean heart. And so we end up with this Psalm 51. And I take, know it's taken a long time to get to the start of the psalm, but this is an amazing psalm. Now, it's amazing not just because it teaches us so much, but it's amazing because we have, a, we have a window right into the heart of the king. Like We're not only reading the stories of David back in Samuel, but we're reading here how he feels. There's not very many places in the Bible where we get a sense of how someone feels. And that's, I think, why people love the psalm so much. But even more than that, it's so brutally honest all through the psalms. You know, people put their posts up on Facebook and Instagram, but they mostly put up the good stuff. (laughs) They don't want to show people, you know, they don't post a photo of the house when it's messy. They don't post a photo of themselves in the morning when their hair's not done or what their teeth look like when they're not brushed. People don't post all that messy stuff sometimes do about their friends or their family but not about themselves usually but David's so honest and he just it just starts out with created you know it's got created me a clean heart oh lord you know purify my heart all of these things are in this prayer he says purify me and I will be clean he says in verse 3 my sin is always before me so he's aware of how sinful he is And um, that is a wonderful thing to know how sinful you are. But a lot of people have no idea that they're sinful. He says in verse 7, wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. What David wants isn't to just be forgiven, 
which is what a lot of people want. A lot of people just want to be forgiven because they don't want the consequences of their sin. But what David wants is to be washed. He wants to be purified. He wants to change. And in verse in 1 John 1, 8 and 9, the apostle John wrote, if you confess your sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive you and purify you. God doesn't want to just forgive you your sins and then you do it again and then he forgives you again and you do it again and that happens thousands of times. God wants to purify you so you're changed. That's what David prays. He says, created me a clean heart. The heart is what you want. David wants a heart that wants what's right. And that's why the Bible says he's a man after God's heart because he wants the things that God wants. Even though he did do some wrong things, he wants what's right. And um, so we see all of these wonderful things here in Psalm 51. In verse 14, it says, David says, Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. And you might have been wondering why he said that when he committed adultery. But no, it's the sin of murder that followed that he's talking about. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed. You know, I've killed people. This isn't just, this isn't the fact that he was a warrior and he was in war. Because being in war is different to murder. David murdered Uriah the Hittite and those men that were with him. That was murder. That wasn't just war. David was in war. You know, we, we send soldiers off to war to defend our country. And if they happen to shoot someone who's attacking them with a bullet, that's not murder. That's within the context of war. Uh, the Ten Commandments don't say thou shalt not kill. It says thou shalt not murder, very specifically. But David murdered, and he prays, Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. Then he says in verse 17, The sacrifice that God wants is a broken spirit. Lord, you will not despise a broken and a contrite heart. And so David is repenting here. Now what I want to say about repentance is, we've often said that repentance is to turn around. We've often said that. You've probably heard that in church. And a lot of people, they think that to repent, you just have to simply say, I repent. No, if you simply say, I repent, what you're doing is simply saying, I repent. <laughs> to repent is to have a change of heart. Now, some people, they thought that it means to change what you do. Well, if you have a change of heart, that's going to lead you to do something different. But some people try to change their behavior, but they haven't changed their heart. So on the outside, they're trying to look like they're living a different life, but inside they still love the old thing. So yeah, there, there can be a kind of a repentance that hasn't obtained the victory yet. But true repentance is a changing of heart. It's saying, Lord, you're right and I'm wrong. It's, it's changing your perspective on the situation. It's saying, Lord, I acknowledge I am wrong and you are right. And I'm not going to cling on to what I've done anymore. I'm going to, to do it your way, Lord, and, and then help me, Lord. So all of this is the changing of the heart, and then the Holy Spirit comes on you to help you, and then you find that your actions then change. Psalm 51 is a, is a big, deep psalm worth working through. There's a few more thoughts I have here. Um, I'm just going to read them to you. Um, how rare it is to get a glimpse into the world behind big sin and into the mind of the repentant. You know, so many people, they hide their sins. They don't want to talk about it. You know, there are preachers in the world who've been through struggles in their lives in the past, 
uh, or some of them actually going through struggles, but they hide them. They, they don't want anyone to know because of shame. And then when they overcome, which presumably they do, some of them don't and they get caught out, but there are people who overcome their sins, but then they don't talk about it because it's embarrassing. Um, so it's not that often you get a glimpse into that whole world of someone who struggled with sin and overcome. St. Augustine was someone that did that. He wrote in his book, Confessions, all his experiences, his feelings. David is the same. So it's a very public example of someone sinning and how they feel and what they said to the Lord and what the Lord did. And it's very refreshing to be able to see that and learn from it and apply it to ourselves. In the psalm, as you go through it, you should read this again tonight, you will notice there's not a single shred, not even 1% anywhere in this psalm where David tries to defend himself. He doesn't give any reasons why he did it. He didn't, doesn't say, for example, oh, she, was just, she just looked so beautiful on the roof that night that I couldn't help myself. Like, there's not even like any kind of attempt to just say, you know, not even to say I was, wasn't in my right mind. Or, there's not even a, a 1% of an attempt to defend himself. He simply says, Lord, you are right and I am wrong. And there's no self-justification. So he gives us the example of how we should repent no justifying things, not to God or to people either. And so prayers like this must be prayed through. And uh, what I'm trying to mean by that is when you've done something wrong, you don't just say, Lord, forgive me, amen. And then and just pray it like as if it's magical words that fix a situation. And David's heart was moved. He prayed into it until he had sorted it out properly. And prayers like this must be done the same way too. The Holy Spirit will help you. The final thought that's worth mentioning here is that David was clearly tempted in a sexual way. That was the, init the initial catalyst for this whole thing. And you can see it was very easy for him. It's very easy for any person to be tempted by any number of things. And temptation often happens in a weak moment. David had a weak moment. All his accountability, all the people, his, all his fighting men, all his soldiers, they were all away. He was at home on his own. So he was in a moment when it was very easy to fall. I've got a lot of good thoughts on how to overcome temptation. There's a, a sermon I preached here, Four Ways to Overcome Temptation. I think you should listen to it. I've got some very, very useful things to say. But, of course, the best way to, not, to avoid temptation is to never be there in the first place. And so that's why I tell people to pray the Lord's Prayer. Lord, keep me from evil. So, Lord, we thank you for your grace. I ask you to keep us from evil. And Lord, I thank you for the example of David in Psalm 51. And I pray, Lord, that we too would have clean hearts, that you would fill us up with your spirit and we would walk in righteousness with you. In Jesus' name, amen.